We are so excited to announce that the second edition of Tamina Watson's book, The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America, is now out for order. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. You can do so by searching The Startup Visa Book or by finding Tamina Watson's author page on Amazon or online. That is spelled T-A-H-M-I-N-A-W-A-T-S-O-N. Thank you so much for your support and for tuning into this episode. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's so nice to be able to speak with so many people from around the globe. It's an honor and a privilege. I want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you for listening to us for so many years. I also want to take the opportunity to remind you of our services. At Watson Immigration Law, we primarily focus on business immigration. That means people who are starting companies such as startups and startup visas, and those include H-1Bs, L-1s, E-2s, O-1 visas, and many more. We help with all sorts of green cards, whether they're employment-based or family-based. We also help with citizenship cases. If you have questions about anything, you can reach us at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. That's www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. We have a very active blog where we talk about new updates that are happening all the time. I would invite you to subscribe to our blog, which is on our website, and you'll find the tab for the blog where you can put your email in and subscribe. Our office phone number is 206-292-5237. That's plus one if you're not in the United States. 206-292-5237. And our email address is info at Watson Immigration law.com. We essentially help with all business immigration, investment immigration, and family-based immigration. I hope you'll subscribe to the blog, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please also find our articles in Above the Law and Entrepreneur Magazine. Thank you so much. We wish everybody a wonderful 2022. Welcome to the Startup Visa Podcast. I am your host, Tamina Watson. I am an immigration attorney at Watson Immigration Law and the author of the book, The Startup Visa. This podcast is a spin-off from the book. Here, we will discuss tips and strategies to make immigration cases successful for founders, entrepreneurs, investors, and business owners. Thanks for tuning in to the Startup Visa Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Tamina Watson, your host of the new podcast, The Startup Visa. I am so incredibly excited and grateful and honored to introduce today's guest. I have been working with him for over a decade, and we have had so many successful cases that I cannot wait to share some of these stories with you. Today's guest is William Dean. He is the VP of Immigration at Master Plans. Welcome, William. How are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much, Tamina. It's wonderful to be on with you. 
Well, I am so grateful. You know, we talk so often about cases, but we don't necessarily have a generic chat. Mm. But, you know, I'm sort of reminded about the first time we met in person, which was well over a decade ago. And I think you were visiting from Portland to Seattle and yep. it was just a random, hey, do you have time to say hi? I'm like, yes, I'd love to say hi. Yeah, I remember that. I brought, I brought was you that how you plant. remember it? Yes, a, probably the little plant I brought has oh, long yeah. since died. But yes, I remember visiting you. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry to say that it may have died. When our children were born, I said to my husband, it's either the plants stay alive or the children. Where do <laughs> I pay choose. attention? Yes, that makes sense to me. I'm glad you well, saved the children. Yeah, they're now 12 and 9, go, both going on 16. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's an interesting time uh, and fun time, too. And you, of course, share the same joy. I do. I have two daughters. Yeah, a little bit younger, but I can relate yeah. to the experience. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and sure. tell us a little bit about master plans after yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, in a way those two relate. I mean, I, I have a humanities background. I went to Brown University for English. I was an English major. And you always get that question, what are you going to do with this degree? And I thought I was going to be an attorney. So I left college and got a job at Stoll Reeves, the biggest law firm down here in Oregon. And it was not immigration related, but I was put on cases we had a construction defect trial that had been going on forever. I was reminded of the Charles Dickens Bleak House Jarndyce and Jarndyce case that's you know, been going on for so long, no one even remembers what the issue was. It was about a road construction from the 1980s when I was a little kid, and here we were still litigating. I also was on a team that was defending one of the indicted Enron executives. Don't think less of me. It was very interesting work. I basically left that job thinking I would go to law school, and the honest truth is my LSAT scores were not good enough for me to really get into the kind of the schools I wanted to go to. Meanwhile, my wife, who was doing the same thing, could pretty much go wherever she wanted. So at that point, I said, why don't you go where you want? And I'm going to reinvest myself in this English degree. Let's see if I can get a job as a writer. So I really was looking for a position where I could be you know, kind of a, I don't know, journalism jobs, communications jobs, something like that. It'll help me get a position where I can actually use these skills I developed reading and writing. And I was fortunate enough to meet the owners of Master Plans in 2005. At that point, it really was a very small company. I mean, there were two other employees. There was one writer, there was one financial modeler working on business plans. I mean, it's funny to remember because my current boss, the co-owner was, he was the only project manager. I mean, we have three of those now on staff. The other owner was essentially the sole salesperson and also the receptionist. It was a really small business, but I came up through the ranks uh, working as a writer, an editor, market researcher, a project manager, and then eventually moved into essentially the role I'm in now, working mainly with uh, immigration candidates and their attorneys. So I, when I look back professionally, I think the most important things I've done you know, one was just that I was working with attorneys early on, not in the immigration context, but as a paralegal, I really got sensitive to what their needs were and the ways that I could help. And there's a lot of that going on in my current role. And then within the world of business planning, I think it's useful that I, I really came up through the ranks and experienced what it's like to do the market research, to write the business plan, to be the project manager, the person who's accountable to the client and dealing with the team about the content coming together. So I think more so maybe than someone else in my role at a different company, I have a good sense of what goes into this process, and I know when I'm talking to someone what is going to be required to get them the kind of plan they need. So that's the long and the short of it. I mean, that's, yes. that's me and that's master plans.
I think that really is useful to know because, I mean, as a lawyer practicing since 2006, you know, I started just as a, you know, a junior partner in a firm and I was told yeah. what to do. I was basically working as a paralegal attorney, yeah. you know, slash, because you've got to fill out the forms, you've got to know the basics. And unless you've done all of those, including the photocopying and the scanning, mm. and in my past life, I was a paralegal too. And so, you know, all of that experience really helps it all come together when you are supervising other people otherwise you won't know what's missing or how to catch those yeah, and correct. so that's that's really really useful to know so tell us about master plans so you said you've been there yeah. since 2005 yes. what does master plans do yeah so master plans i mean all it does is write business plans that's the entire company's business model it has been around since 2002 so this i guess is going i don't know any specific date to have a party but this ought to be its 20 year celebration you know the business plans we write are for all purposes and maybe this is a segue into kind of how a business plan gets used, but we do write business plans for SBA loans, for angel investment, for venture capital projects. I don't deal with those sort of projects very much, I'm mainly overseeing the immigration side. Obviously, uh, for the two of us to be speaking, that's really the core issue that I would be addressing for business plans. But we do write them for all purposes. I mean, there are a lot of clients whose need for it is that they, they require an SBA-backed loan. They're going to use their house as collateral and they're going to open a coffee shop. I mean, that's a pretty common reason to write a business plan. Some people just want to organize their thoughts or see whether an idea is good. Some people are hoping they get a small amount of angel investment from friends or family. Some other people have a huge idea that they need to pitch to a venture capital firm. I mean, these are all different types of business plan and the business plan those people require is going to vary depending on you know, their audience and their industry and everything else. But yeah, Master Plans deals with all of that. I mean, we have 15 employees here. Uh, three of them, as I mentioned, I think are project managers who oversee these sorts of cases. And we have writers and researchers and also financial modelers. We kind of bifurcate those two parts of the plan on the theory that most people who are very good with numbers maybe aren't the best writers and vice versa. Uh, I realize some people are fantastic and can do both, but I'm someone who cannot. I always tell people I'm, I'm a great writer. I'm not a good financial modeler. And most people, I think, tend to have one skill set be stronger than the other. So we break them up and these people collaborate so that the plans come out their best possible way. That's really useful to know. So before I talk about immigration and business plans in general, let's just talk about the startup community. Often mm -hmm. people are starting businesses. They may be from a different country. They may yeah. be here, but they are often looking to raise funds and yes. they will need to pitch to VCs or mm -hmm. angels. Sometimes mm -hmm. they just need pitch decks. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm just imagining a client or a person listening who needs to start with getting an investment before they can even think about immigration. And it's just sort of a chicken and egg. So yeah. uh, talk a little bit about the VC and angel part of it, even though you don't necessarily do that. If somebody came to you, what do you say to them? What, what do they look for? Sure. And, and we do have sort of separate service offerings for those sort of things. I mean, we, like we can create a pitch deck, but more commonly, it's kind of developed from the business plan. We'll usually start with the business plan itself. For a lot of the immigration candidates, I think it's a little trickier because often the you know, consular officer or USCIS will want to see that they have some investment rather than that they are kind of dependent on some money coming in before they can execute a business idea. So there's a little bit of cart before the horse sometimes that we run into depending on someone's circumstance. But the, the nice thing, I think, is that a business plan, it's going to be 80% the same 
no matter what its use value is. I mean, so someone who wants to get an immigration visa, as opposed to someone who needs to raise investment, the actual business plan itself, it's, I mean, it's going to be predominantly the same document. I mean, I think it's misleading to tell people, oh, they're completely different. You know, you would need two business plans. That's not true. They're just kind of pieces of nuance in there. There's some art to it. You know, you wouldn't put an investor proposition into a business plan that was going to a consular officer who's reviewing for someone's visa. And conversely, you probably don't want a lot of language about someone's immigration status and the type of business plan you might use to try to solicit investment. So there's a little bit of kind of refining required, but in general, the business plan is going to be the same. And I think that's a nice feature. I mean, that's an advantage. And I'll tell people sometimes, you know, if you're using this business plan to come into the country on E2, for example, and later you think you might need to expand. And in order to do that, you have to raise capital. The business plan should still be a viable tool. You may have to come back to it and update some things, but it's essentially the same document you would use for that purpose. So true entrepreneurs, I think, see value in having a business plan uh, above and beyond, whether it's immigration first or getting a loan first, it can be used for benchmarking. I mean, for long-term kind of checks and balances, you can go back and see how close you came to what your projection was for revenue in a given year. Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting to use that way. So um, I don't know if that completely answered your question. No, that's, we, we that's really helpful. But, no, that's yeah. really helpful. I'm just imagining somebody who has so many to do items and you know you're right cart before the horse sometimes but it sounds to me that that particular business plan that often you and I work on together that could be used for multiple purposes I mean I've seen it and we will talk a little bit about this later where that same business plan has been updated tweaked for other visa purposes yes visa categories but it seems to me there's a layer above that where it can be used for pitching for fundraising whether it's to a vc or an angel so it's almost like you could be a one-stop shop for that yeah for sure i mean there's okay. just kind of a there's a little bit of change that would probably be required there and it can be handled by us or by client on their own i mean once they have the business plan if they're savvy with excel and they feel comfortable editing or updating market research it's they can they can do it themselves or they can come back to us but you're, you're completely right that the plan can serve multiple purposes in that way that's great. And I want to touch on something that you mentioned a few times, because as a lawyer, I don't look at numbers. I just rely on you mm -hmm. and accountants to make sure they look good. And I will eyeball it thinking, yeah, you know, that looks reasonable to me. <laughs> but tell us a little bit about the financial modeling that you just mentioned. Sure. What is that and how does that happen? Yeah, so that's another element within Master Plans where we have three people who work on it. They're overseen by my colleague, Kelly, who's excellent and has also been here with me for, I think she's been here 15 years now. Essentially, you know, we want to try to learn what a client knows. I mean, that's always the case. We'll, we'll first start with them by trying to figure out what sort of numbers they may know already. Like in the case of an investment visa, if they know how much capital they're going to put into the business and roughly how it will be spent, you know, that's very useful information for us to put into the forecasting. I think where some of the collaboration comes into play is that when we're trying to model a set out you know three or more typically five-year forecast showing how a business will perform there might be certain things that a client doesn't know and i always give the example when i'm on a call with somebody of saying you know if you say i'm not sure how much this business is going to need to dedicate to marketing 
you know, and it's a dental clinic. We can look at industry statistics and see that the average U.S. dental office spends, I have no idea, but say 7.5% of revenue on marketing. We can plug that number in based on their other figures, and it gives, it's not going to be a perfect number, but it gives a really accurate placeholder so that the rest of the model can run. So really our goal is to try to create a cohesive financial forecast where everything seems reasonable. And it's understood, I think, both by the client and by people in the immigration circles that nothing's ever going to be exact. It just doesn't work that way. These are all pro forma estimates, but you want to make it as credible as possible. So there's sort of, uh, there's some interplay there where we'll talk to the client, see what they know in order to learn what pieces are the gaps that we would need to research. And then by collaborating, we'll come together and be able to put a model in place that seems reasonable. That's fantastic. And the word is reasonable because, right. I mean, that's the way we can only present their stories. So right. let's let's move on to immigration specifically mm -hmm. uh, for the client. So when sure. somebody comes to you, how does that conversation begin? How do you know where to start? I mean, so our lawyers like me will often say we're looking for this visa or that visa, but often people don't know what they need to yeah. do. So tell us the two angles of this particular story. Well, it's an intelligent lead in because I do get inquiries from the web, for example, where someone maybe doesn't have counsel yet. Sometimes they have no intention of hiring a lawyer. Uh, those are scary because I generally have to tell people like I would strongly recommend you confer with somebody. But you know, in those cases, I think it's a matter of me just telling what I know. And I'm always very candid. I say I'm not an attorney and you know, I have a lot of exposure to this industry just through all these years of in the profession, but I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. I always tell them what I can and then try to steer them in the direction of someone who could actually give them good counsel. That is less common for me, though, than the sort of prospective client I get from someone like you, where I know they've actually been pretty well prepared for this process. They have a good understanding of what the visa requirements are, and they generally are pretty pretty sophisticated as business people. And in those cases, I think it's a little bit easier to sort of set expectations, talk about where I think they may provide the most value and where we may provide the most value. And we kind of come together in the middle. I, I mean, I'm not typically educating someone about what I think their adjudication interview is going to look like, or you know how likely I think they are to get a request for evidence in a you know, L1 filing or something. But I do have some experience reviewing people's, you know, L1 RFEs or notice of intent to deny, and I can maybe give kind of a second opinion based on what their counsel has said the plan ought to look like. I mean, there is some, I have some experience there and it can be useful to talk to people about, about that, but there is a big difference. It's, it goes without saying, but there's a big difference between a client who comes from the internet who really hasn't even researched whether they need a lawyer and someone who's been sent by their law office and is already pretty sophisticated about what needs to happen. We'll be right back. Did you know that a business plan is an essential part of the immigration application process and a critical tool for entrepreneurs? The average business person will spend 250 hours developing an acceptable business plan, save time, headaches, and avoid visa denials by getting a professional business plan from Master Plans. With over 20 years of experience and over 18,000 business plans under their belt, they deliver best-in-class research, financial modeling, and strategic direction, allowing you to focus on what you do best. Check out Master Plans at masterplans.com or call their team at 877-453-2011. Again, that is masterplans with an S dot com or 877-453-2011 to get in touch. Thank you.
Now back to our program. Really good to know. And then let's talk about some of the visa categories that you Mm -hmm. have helped people with. So let's just list them out so people know what they can expect. I mean, the the primary of them is the E2 investor visa, non-immigrant visa that unfortunately, obviously, some major countries do not qualify for because there's not a treaty in place. But uh, when people are eligible for E2, that's the most common type of plan we see. In the E2 scenario, really the the main things to show are that someone has sufficient investment to make the business work and that they'll be essentially running a non-marginal enterprise, which typically means there will be people on payroll. I know sometimes it's just contract labor, but usually we like to show that there'll be some people hired by this company. And then there's kind of a tertiary point where it's good that that person has some affinity for the business model. Maybe that's, you know, they they were an accountant in Canada and they're coming down to open an accounting office in the US and they're going to get the necessary credentials. And that's a pretty cut and dry type of E2. I mean, sometimes we'll see EB2, like national interest waiver cases where a business plan is helpful. I think those will get a little trickier just because the criteria change and there's really onus on the plan writer to help make the case that there's some national importance here and that this person is well suited to advance it. There's also the L1A, I think I mentioned briefly, like that is... In my view, that's sort of a more complex plan just because you're dealing with USCIS and there's a higher likelihood of a request for evidence delaying things. And the way they adjudicate those, at least in my experience, it kind of seems like it's stuck in the dark ages. And they have a lot of emphasis on what the visa beneficiary will be doing in the US to the point that you're having to create this hypothetical use of time. You actually lay out charts showing what that person will be doing on a day-to-day basis in percentage format, which is just, I mean, it's comical. There's, it's ludicrous. No one knows. I don't know what I'm going to do next week to mean I got much less a year from now, such that I could show you in a graph. But that's the <laughs> level of granular detail that an adjudicator at CIS wants to see for an L1 seeker. So those are tricky. It's a lot more about the people, you know, organizational charts, the personnel plan showing kind of what their oversight roles are, what the job duties are of the people they'll employ. There's also that whole mess of are they a manager or are they an executive and the duties have to be kept siloed it's it's a little bit tricky not to get too deep in the weeds on that i think uh, there's also the eb5 direct visa we're seeing a little more of those with the fact regional center matters are kind of off the table at the moment so in that context someone investing at least half a million dollars into a u.s enterprise and being able to prove that they could create 10 jobs within two and a half years of having their i-526 approved those cases require a pretty sophisticated business plan there's a lot of effort that that needs to go into the market research, having it match up with the pro forma. So you're really, again, making a credible case, a reasonable and believable case that this person's business could actually employ at least 10 people in the US 35 hours per week or more. So those are some of the more involved cases we see. Beyond that, I mean, there's the E1 treaty trader. I mean, we've written for some O1s where an attorney thought it would be useful to have a plan, but this business is predominantly E2, L1A and EB5 direct sounds like you've done some O1s and recently there have been some new guidance from USCIS for entrepreneurs, particularly those who raise funds. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to know that you are able to, you know, help people with those. But a business plan is a business plan, no matter what the visa category is. It's, it seems like there's a little tweaking here and there, mm-hmm. depending on the visa. But yep. in essence, it's a document that you can produce no matter what the visa category is. Would that be correct? You're correct completely. Yeah. There's just that last bit of, I think I referred earlier to like the 80% similarity. There's the 20% nuance where an L1 seeker is going to have a lot more detail put into the biographical section and the personnel plan than you would ever care to see in a plan that was being used for like an E2 investor. 
Yeah, well, that's really good to know. And, uh, you know, I think that the follow up from that is somebody on an immigration journey has to go through multiple visas. And I often tell people you're taking little steps towards whatever your end goal is, whether it's to have an exit for your startup and then leave the country or to get a green card or to have the maximum time on your visa, because each visa has a time limitation and they have restrictions on what they can do. And, you know, we haven't touched upon the international entrepreneur parole yet. But, you know, that's a very new thing that President Obama had implemented. Mm -hmm. President Trump tried to take it away and then President Biden revived it in May 2021. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't actually become a feasible um, option yet, but it really is and can be our version of a startup visa. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I do know that your service will be incredibly important in those because the category that we have to prove in that case is rapid growth. Yeah. And that's where your financial model is everything. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? I, I mean, I know how much a proponent of that you are. And I've, you know, the work you've done with Fiona McGinty and other people trying to bring this to the forefront, it, 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 is, it is so true that there are, there are just huge gaps in the visa programs right now, such that so many people, I mean, millions of would-be entrepreneurs can't come over on E2, you know, because they're, they're from India or Russia or Brazil or China. And some of the workarounds that allow those people to qualify for E2, like investing uh, money into Grenada, or, I mean, it's just, it's so complex that it, it doesn't really give a viable path. And not every company is going to qualify somebody for an L1. Not everybody has enough capital to pursue EB-5. I mean, there, there are just massive gaps where the U.S. is losing out on opportunities to have entrepreneurs here. So there are, I mean, these startup visa concepts, it is very exciting, and I hope it will come to fruition that we can work on cases like that. There are many things that still need to be tweaked in the program, Mm -hmm. and I am part of a coalition where we have written to the administration asking to tweak a few things that it can be usable. So we'll see where that goes, but I have no doubt that when that time comes that you will produce excellent business plans to be able to be successful in those cases. So, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention is that you and I have worked on cases where you know, an E2 becomes an L or an L becomes an E, and then that becomes an EB5. And tell us what that process looks like for you, because, Mm -hmm. you know, the client is successful on an E. And, you know, we've we've worked on things where the E becomes an H1B for many reasons, but ultimately Mm -hmm. it becomes an EB5. Tell us how you approach that, because Mm -hmm. obviously I sit down with the client. We have to re-strategize about the next step. How do we fulfill all of these requirements? Maybe the company is selling and the E2 doesn't work anymore. Now we have to save them, uh, quote unquote, save them. So when that happens and the client then goes to you, what happens next? Yeah, that's a great question. I think most commonly what we're seeing is that it's just time for someone to renew and they're not necessarily switching category. Uh, you know, the L1 is up for renewal or maybe it's becoming an EB1C uh, or their E2 period is expiring, but the business is still active and they're going to renew. And typically in those cases, we'll just charge them a reinstatement fee, return to the same business plan, update it with current market research, add a past performance table showing how the business has actually performed since it's been operating in the US and then give them essentially the plan again so they can refile. Um, I know some law offices don't even do it that way. I think it kind of depends on how they're advising their clients. Um, But you're you're right to point out some of these cases where there's a conversion element at play, like a lot of E2 investors discover that they've put or will soon put enough capital into the business that they, they could qualify for an EB-5. So that's one of the nice things about that 
step, the E2 to EV5, the money that's been put into the business as an E2 can be part of the qualifying investment for direct EV5. So provided you can make a case that the jobs will exist, there's a way to get people into, people who have E2 status, get them into a position where they could actually get a conditional green card and in time have the conditions removed. So not everyone can take that route because it is expensive among other things, but uh, it at least gives a path to a green card to some folks whose uh, you know, their country of origin would make it impossible otherwise. And that L1 to AB1C, I believe, has essentially the same impact where somebody could ultimately be here on a green card. So I think that the short answer to your question is we can always return to the work and kind of retool it so that it's addressing whatever the new need is. Uh, again, with that 80% rule and business plans all being more or less the same, it's a matter of just making sure that 20%, both making it current and then making sure that that 20% reflects whatever the change in visa status is so that they can apply again uh, through whatever body it is. That's fantastic. You know, and from experience, I know that you have successfully been able to, you know, seamlessly transition from one visa category to another to make sure that we are able to timely file whatever the next step is. So mm -hmm. huge thank you for all of oh, the always. attention to detail and the thoughtfulness and the timeliness. I mean, all of that helps the client and ultimately helps, you know, the highest good of everybody, really. And imagine all the jobs that have been created, know, you know, I, not I, just on paper, but I, in reality. I, at the end of the day, that is what I love about this work. I mean, these are you have so many people, especially during the Trump years, who are anti-immigration. And it, it's just so narrow-minded to me. I mean, there's so much benefit to the U.S. from this sort of immigration. And a lot of these entrepreneurial visa categories have the opportunity to create a ton of U.S. jobs. And, and, and even in, I mean, obviously, a, a Something like the EB-5 platform is explicitly about job creation, but the E-2 and the L-1 too, I mean, those are creating U.S. jobs. We're modeling them into the forecast. They're in the business plan. I mean, these positions exist. It's real. I love that about these programs. They don't just give someone the opportunity to be here. They're good for the people who are here already. Totally. And think about the impact. I mean, you mentioned at the beginning where you were working on a case that was from the 80s. Yes. And, you know, how many people had worked on that case without seeing the end of it? That's I what I really love about immigration, where the impact is direct and you're seeing it in real time. Yes. And you're actually seeing the benefits, not just in that one generation, but others, too. Mm -hmm. And it's just a very meaningful job in which it's not really a job, it's a vocation. You know, you're yeah. really, truly helping somebody transform their lives and livelihoods and how they make their own impact in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, William, if people want to contact you, how do they do that? Yeah. So, I mean, my direct dial is 503-749-0587. And that number actually can be text message too. So I do get texts from clients there. It's a very easy way to communicate with me. I'm probably on email even more frequently. I answer emails all day long. I do it in the middle of the night when I wake up, <laughs> don't know what else to do. So you can email me. It's just my first name, William at masterplans with an s.com. Uh, so we'll the put website, it in the show notes. Yeah, yes, give us the website. Master, it's just masterplans.com. And yeah, everything you would need to know is there. There's a whole tab about immigration and different uh, options for folks. So uh, sample plans and stuff. There's nothing unique there. I mean, it's just kind of an overview of uh, what we do. And I have a lot of other materials I can share by email if someone wants to get in touch that way. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, William, for being here, yeah. for taking time out of your day and definitely for being part of my village. Oh, I, it's truly an honor. And it is, uh, it's always been wonderful working with you. I would encourage anyone listening who hasn't had the opportunity to meet or hire Tamina to do so. She, I mean, you can't go wrong.
Well, I'm grateful for those kind words. Well, William, sure. have a wonderful day yeah, and we'll speak soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Tamina Talks is brought to you by Watson Immigration Law. Founded in 2009, Watson Immigration Law is one of Seattle's premier immigration firms, specializing in business and investment visas, but offering a wide range of immigration services. If you need assistance with your immigration needs, Watson Immigration Law is ready to help. Just call 206-292-5237 to schedule an appointment. Again, you can schedule an appointment at 206-292-5237. Also subscribe to our blog at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com for immigration updates. Thank you so much for listening.